Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. What a great privilege it is for me to come back to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church and to be with you on Pentecost Sunday. It's a very special day. Don't you love your pastor very much? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I know you do because several of the congregation has shared that with me already. And thank you, Brother Jeff, doing a great work here. Thank you for what you're doing in the community. Thank you for what you're doing for world missions. You are one of the top giving churches and total mission giving in the IPHC and we say to God be the glory for that thank you for a heart for the nations and for the lost I, um, I I'm never cease to be amazed at the goodness of God and what he has for his people thank the Lord for the worship time today bringing us to this point where now we're going to look at the word of God together what does Pentecost Sunday mean to you? Does anybody have, uh, have you thought about that? When is Pentecost Sunday? You say, well, today. But how do you know what Sunday it is every year? Well, the name Pentecost means 50. That's what the word means, okay? And so you tell me when Easter Sunday is, I'll tell you when Pentecost Sunday is. Because it's always seven weeks after Easter in the Old Testament, the Lord called Moses, commanded him to come around Sinai seven Sabbath days after the Passover. And on that 50th day, God met with him on the mountain at Sinai. But when you come to the New Testament, the Lord has met with his people in a glorious, glorious way in the book of Acts. I want to talk to you today about... Uh, really what Peter talked about on the day of Pentecost in his sermon. He told that crowd when they gathered around, he told them about Jesus. He said, you took this Jesus with wicked hands and you slew him on the tree, but God raised him from the dead. So would you agree with me that, that the greatest life that's ever been lived is by Jesus? He's the only one that has ever lived a completely perfect life. Not only did he not have any sin, he never had a mistake. He never went right when he should have went left or never went left when he should have went right. He never had to remember or recall or apologize for a single thing he ever said. Never a man spake like this man. Never a man lived like this man. But the New Testament is clear as he is, so are we in this world. And we are to follow in his steps. And we are to be like him. And the way that it becomes possible, I'm convinced, is through the precious person of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take a few moments in your hearing today and, and talk to you about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of Jesus. From the beginning of his life to to the end you say well that's a long time listen we ought to be out of here by two o'clock without any problem 
whatsoever, okay? Think about this with me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. You can do one of two things primarily when you preach. You can preach the whole sermon and then give the application at the end, or you can, with each point that you have, you can make a point and kind of make an application then. So I'm going to try that second uh, version. If it doesn't work, we can try again about 3 o'clock this afternoon if we don't get it the first time. Okay? So when you start with any person's life, looking at their life, we start with their birth, don't we? We start with their conception and their birth. So what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus? We believe he had a supernatural role, don't we? Do you remember in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, the angel Gabriel had just come to the young girl Mary and told her she was going to have a child that would be called this, prom- this son of God, this promised Messiah. Do you remember what Mary said to her? She said, how can this be? I don't know a man. I've never had any relations with a man. How can I be expecting a baby? What did the the angel Gabriel say? He answered her back and said, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. That holy thing that's within you shall be great, shall be called the Son of God. And he went on to say, with men things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know what? I have to admit, I'm really, I, 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 I'm, I'm really disappointed to know that over half of the ministers in all branches of the Christian tree in America, now I'm, I'm not talking about just Pentecostal, I'm talking about all the branches, so it's all the liberal arms as well, but over half of the ministers in America don't believe in the virgin birth. I'm talking about the ministers. If you ask a lot of these well-educated people, why don't you believe in the virgin birth? They'll give you a high convoluted answer and they'll say something like, well, it's a biological impossibility. When somebody tells me that the virgin birth is a biological impossibility, my deep theological response usually is something like this. Duh. (laughs) Amen. That's the miracle. Amen. With men, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit works his divine work and God became man, but he never stopped being God. Jesus was born of the Spirit. But here's good news in Mount Olive this morning. You can be born of the Spirit of God. You can be born again. You can have a spiritual birth. Jesus said this to Nicodemus when he came to him at at night in John chapter 3. Jesus said, you must be born again. Except you, a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom. Nicodemus said, how can this be? Same word for word, he asked the same question Mary did. How can this be? How how can a man be born when he's old? Can you go back into your mother's womb and, and come out again? How many of you know if you could do that, it wouldn't help anything? The problem is you were born wrong the first time. We were all born in sin and with this bent towards sin. 
So Jesus says, no, that that is of the flesh is of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is the spirit. He said, here's how it happens. It's like the wind that blows. You can't tell the sound from where it's coming or from where it's going. So then is everyone who's born of the spirit of God. How many found out the Holy Spirit's a lot like the wind? You can't see him, but you can feel him. You see the effects after he stopped by. You can see where he's been. Praise his name. You can be born of the Spirit of God. Now, what happened in Jesus' life after he was born? Well, we only know about the shepherds coming that night and some wise men a little later. And then we've got that episode at the age of 12. And really, that's all. Luke hits the fast forward button until the age of 30. But all we get is a summary statement or two at the end of chapter 2. And you know what it said? What happened to Jesus after he was born? He said, well, the child grew. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. That is, he grew intellectually. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. I can't comprehend that, but he did. He grew socially. And Luke 2 and 40 said that the child waxed strong in spirit and he was full of wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. What happens when a child is born? They grow. That's normal and that's natural. You remember going to a reunion or something and people that hadn't seen you in, in years and you didn't know them at all and they said, oh, look how, how you've grown when you were a child. Shouldn't they be more amazed if you hadn't grown? It's natural, it's normal to grow. And that's what happened to Jesus. But Luke is telling us in those days, those weeks, those months, those years, when nothing was recorded that happened, the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of Jesus. And he's at work in your life, in my life, after our new birth as well, in a thousand different ways every week that we're not even aware of. At the age of 12, he confounded some intellectuals when they was left there in, in the temple. I've always been fascinated by that story, haven't you? Jesus at the age of 12, Mary and Martha thought, uh, Mary and Joseph each thought that the other one had him. I guess they traveled in a caravan and men with men and women with women and the children would be split up. And, and I think that's probably what happened. How could you lose Jesus, right? But they lost him in a church, okay? That's even worse. They left him right there in the temple. And I think about what happened on the resurrection evening. He was walking along with Cleophas and an unnamed companion. And, and, and Mary and Joseph, think they, they think Jesus is with them, but he's not. And then on Easter evening, there's two people. They don't think he's with them, and he is. I just wonder if there's some people think that the, the Lord's with them, and he's not. But the other side of that is there's sometimes we think he's not with us and he is. However you see that, finally at the age of 30, he lays aside carpenter tools and he heads to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. What happened at the Jordan River? Jesus was baptized. He was baptized in, in water. We all know that story. But how many of you know something else happened to him at Jordan? He was not only water baptized, he was also spirit baptized. 
right? He was baptized in water. And when he came up, according to Luke 3 and 21, he came up from the water praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Ghost descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. It wasn't a real dove, but it was in the likeness of a dove. And it sat upon him. And God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you understand what happened at that moment? Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And John tells us in his account in chapter 3, verse 34, when this happened, God gave the Spirit to him without measure. There's good news in Mount Olive. Not only was Jesus born of the Spirit, he was, he was filled with the Spirit, and you can be born of the Spirit, and you can also be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. They were all in one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. That happened to them. It can happen to us. The most important thing about spirit baptism, though, is not that you'll speak in a tongue that you don't know. The most important thing, you'll have some boldness to speak in a language that you do know, to witness to a lost and a dying world. Jesus, our pattern, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what did Jesus do after his baptism, after he was filled with the Spirit? The very first thing that happened, when you turn the page from Luke 3 to Luke chapter 4, we're told that the Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, isn't it true sometimes after you've had your best blessing, your greatest experience, your most wonderful touch from God around the altar, how many of you know, look out, it won't be long. Something's going to happen just up ahead. But we think sometimes that this thing that's going to happen up ahead is something that God didn't plan or didn't know about. But on the contrary, it was the Holy Ghost that led Jesus into the wilderness. He was going to be tempted, tempted of the devil to sin, tested by the Father to prove that he wouldn't and he couldn't sin. That's what was happening. And Jesus is weak. And he's afflicted in the sense that he is hungered. And for 40 days, he has gone without food. He's in a weakened condition. The lamb is very vulnerable. And the lion, the wolf, Satan himself, sees him there and stalks him as a prey. But what the lion wolf can't see is that the dove that came down on the lamb in the river, the, nowhere did it say that the dove went up. The dove stayed down. I believe the Holy Spirit was still upon Jesus, don't you? He is filling Jesus. He is giving Jesus the power. Three times when Satan says, since you are the Son of God, do this. He says, it is written. It is written. It is written. And the devil is defeated. And angels come and minister to him. And we're told in verse 13 and verse 14 of Luke 4 that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
Did you catch that? He went into the wilderness with the Spirit. He came out with the Spirit. I'm telling you, you can go into a fiery trial with the Spirit. You can come out with the Spirit. You don't have to lose the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost gave him victory. He's the pattern for you and I. So he was born of the Spirit. He grew in the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Paul said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Where did Jesus go when he left the wilderness? He went back up into Galilee. According to Luke 4, 18, he walked into the synagogue. They gave him the scroll to read. He found a certain place in Isaiah, and he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Listen, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God. Acts 10 and 38, Luke said it this way, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You can be anointed by the Spirit of God. When you stand up to preach or to teach, when you share your faith with that coworker, that fellow student or that worker on the job or the neighbor down the street or somebody in your family, the same anointing that was upon Jesus can rest upon you. We have an unction from the Holy One, 1 John 2 and 20 said. We have an anointing, the 27th verse of that chapter said. And it's this same Spirit of God. His first 30 years, Jesus preached no sermons that we know. He healed no bodies. He performed no miracles. None of that starts until the Spirit comes upon him. There's good news in Mount Olive. Am I telling you good news today? I'm, you don't hear this on ABC or CBS or NBC or even Fox or MSNBC or CNN. This is good news. Jesus came and the Holy Spirit was upon him and within him every step of the way and that same spirit wants to have that vital role in your life as well that's what Pentecost means to me let me hit the fast forward button take us to the end of the earthly life of Jesus and before I leave I want to share with you three more things can you tolerate three it's better than 13 not as good as two but three amen and that is because we want to focus on the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. That's what Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. I say it again. He said, you took this Jesus with wicked hands. You slew him on the cross, but God raised him up, and he's now exalted at the Father's right hand. How did Jesus die? How did he come back to life? How was he raised? And how did he leave? How did the ascension happen? That's the three questions I ask before I land the plane. When Jesus died, he died, I believe, with the Spirit. He died in and through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with him all the way. There's something that's happening between the Father and the Son on the cross. We still can't fully fathom it. He cries out, on the, in the middle of that ordeal, 
from the middle tree and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His whole life, he never called the father anything but father, except this one time. And he says, my God, my God, why is he now saying that? Well, for the first time in his life or anyone's life, the sins of the whole world have been captured and they've been placed upon him. And he's feeling the effect. This is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, just some hours before, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's not the physical suffering. It's not the nails and the crown of thorns. That's, that's not what he's recalling at. It's having the sins of the world he who knew no sin taking your sin and my sin he said my god my god why have you forsaken me did the father really forsake him some think he really did he turned his back upon him he had to because of the sin did the son just feel that at that moment because of his humanity we don't know a lot of that but i do know that jesus asked why and I preach to people sometime and I've heard people say, we should never ask why. We should never question God. But I don't believe that. I think as humans, we have, we have every right to, to ask why. We can never do it with a clenched fist. We can never say, tell me why or I'm not going to serve you. But with an open hand and an open heart, I think we can say, why me? Why us? Why now? Why not? And he may or may not in his sovereignty choose to answer us at that point in that time. But I do know this, that question was not the last thing on Jesus' lips. He didn't go out with a question mark. I know some people, you know, I taught 15 years Bible and theology at the classroom, by the way. I hope some of you, when he said I was a doctor and a priest, all that, I hope you didn't think, oh no, you know, this, because I guess nobody did, okay. But, I mean, we think sometimes it's going to be dry, this is going to be dead, this is going to be dull. Listen, some people, I, I, I know when they teach, they, they like to just say, well, here's all the different theories and get everybody stirred up and confused and you walk out with a question mark on your mind and everybody say, what was that all about? That's not the way I like to do it. I don't mind telling you what other folks believe, but that's not what I want to end on. I don't want you to go home with a question mark over your heart or your head. I want you to leave with an exclamation point that you've just heard truth that can change your life forever. He said, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. That's how Jesus died. But I found a nugget, a priceless verse kind of tucked into Hebrews 9 and 14 when the writer was giving some theological reflection about the event on the cross. And he said, Jesus, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot unto God. You know what that verse means? It was through the eternal spirit. That means the Holy Spirit was with Jesus every step of the way. He was with him when he died. And when Jesus drew his last breath and died, the spirit had conducted him all of the way. You say, why is that important? Remember, he's the pattern for you and I. And we don't just need the precious Holy Spirit 
to help us in order to become saved or sanctify or to be filled with his power or to anoint us or to guide us and lead us. If Jesus tarries is coming, everyone under the sound of my voice, including the one with this voice, is going to experience death. You're going to come to that last river. You're going to encounter the Jordan. And when you come to that final place, do you really think it's possible that the Spirit of God that's walked with you all these years, that he's going to abandon you at that moment? Do you really think he's going to say, you know what, you're on your own? You can just do the best you can from here. I say not so. I'm telling you, when you come to that final river, you will not have to cross Jordan alone. Doesn't matter if you're in a hospital room or your room at home or wherever you are, why the Holy Ghost is going to be more real at that moment in your life than he's ever been. I remember as a young boy, Sometimes, you know, the, the evangelists would come by our church, preach revival, and, and our pastors were great men, but they never used the Greek much. They didn't mention the Greek language. But a few evangelists would come by, and they'd say, well, the Greek says this, and the Greek says that. And I always wondered who these Greeks were, you know. But then they said the, the, the word for comforter, advocate, helper, is paraclete in the Greek. I remember them saying that. Uh, paracletos or paraclete Jesus said I'll pray the father and he will give you another comforter and the word for the comforter paraclete paraclete one called alongside to help but as a young boy I remember thinking you know it sounded like to my ears they were saying parakeet instead of paraclete so I thought why did Jesus say he would send us a bird okay and then I found out later that a, bird, a parakeet is a bird that mimics human speech. And then I, I think about how precious the Holy Spirit is on this day of Pentecost. And how this world that we're living in continues to find ways. They delight to curse the name of our God and our Jesus and our Holy Spirit. Um, but I want to tell you something. He, he's been reduced down to just some kind of emotional experience, something that's weird or strange or odd. But I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He's not a parakeet. He's the paraclete. He's called alongside to help. You know how real he is in my life? He's with me in the morning and he's with me at noon and he's with me at night and he's with me when I get a raise and he's with me when I lose my job. He's with me when I go on vacation and he's with me when no vacation comes. He's with me in good days and bad days. You know what I found out in the last few years? He'll, he'll be with you in the hospital. He's been with me in ICU. He's been with me in the ER. He's been with me at the funeral home. He's been with me at the cemetery. Has anybody found out he's been with us in the pandemic? He's been with us in every step of the way and when you get to that last river I'm telling you friend you're not going to have to cross alone the Holy Ghost is going to take you from here to the other side somebody praise him in this place amen now settle down this is just a little Bible study today how did Jesus die it was through the spirit how was he raised from the dead well, 
You could make a case that the father raised him. God the father said, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And when the apostle preached in the book of Acts, he quoted from that passage and he said that that was spoken on the day of the resurrection. The songwriter said that God the father whispered into the ear of uh, his beloved son and said, arise, my love. Arise, the grave can hold you no longer. So in one sense, the father raised him. I think you could also make a case that Jesus raised himself. He said, I've got the power to do it. I've got the power to lay down my life and take it up again. You can destroy this temple, but in three days, I'll raise it up again. He raised himself. But you know what else? Romans 8 and 11 said, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. The Holy Ghost raised Jesus. The Spirit of God quickened the Prince of Life and brought him back to life. You say, why did the Spirit of God have to do it? Because the rest of that 11th verse of Romans 8 said, if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body by that same Spirit. Glory, he'll make you alive. Grave, where is your victory now? Death, where is your sting? We've been going to the cemetery for a long, long time. My precious mom and dad are buried at a cemetery less than a mile, from, less than a half mile from our home. I go by it every day. Many, many times I've stopped and made a trip there, but I tell you what, one of these days is going to make the last trip to that site, and it's going to be a site of holy ground. Glory, holy ground, sight of a great miracle because the spirit that brought again Jesus from the tomb is going to bring us glory back to life if we've died in the faith. My brother, can you come and play something here? Like I told the morning crowd, this, by the way, it sounds like you're his, the pastor's favorite, amen? Do you hear that? I can't argue with it today, all right? Amen. When I travel around in missions, I, I usually say, you know, who, which conference people ask is your favorite? And the answer is obviously whichever one you're in. Amen. Amen. Do I look like a rookie, people? This is, this is not my first roundup. I've been coming to North Carolina trying to tell this grand old story for 42 years. And I still enjoy it. I still enjoy going around that roundabout in Newton Grove. That's, that's fun. First time I came to that, I went around twice just. Oh, but I'm going to tell people now. You take the third exit. Is it 55? Yeah, 55. The reason I wanted my brother to come is because you need to have hope at the end of a sermon. When you hear the music. You got hope. This thing, he is going to finish today. You're laughing, but I think I'm telling the truth. Am I the only one that likes music at the end of a sermon? Especially if you don't know the preacher and if the preacher seems to be enjoying his own sermon. You're saying, we're not getting out of here today. This fellow said two o'clock and we all laughed, but he didn't laugh, you know. But some of you are feeling better already just because... Amen, the music there. 
but it does get our minds and our attention on the last thought and that's simply this jesus rose from the dead he walked on the earth for 40 days more he gave his final instructions about the kingdom he laid his hands on them and blessed them and then a cloud came down and received him out of sight jesus ascended to heaven and it was 10 days later the day of pentecost happened so here's the question how did jesus ascend how do you do that we've been conditioned to seeing things on television and movies and things and you just kind of beam yourself up you know with some kind of a charge and jesus could have went to heaven in his own power because he's the son of god he's divine but evidently he didn't do that he chose to wait and do something because he's the pattern for you and i i read it in the book of acts three times in acts chapter one how he ascended you know how the writer said he did it he was taken up when he was taken up he was taken up he was taken up if language means anything at all somebody took him up if somebody takes this bible up that means somebody comes by and takes it up are you with me who was it anybody have any idea who i think it was that may have maybe took jesus up to heaven why the same one that was with him from the beginning same one that caused his glorious birth and helped him grow to become a sinless man the same spirit that filled him at jordan led him in the wilderness anointed him to preach in the synagogue that same spirit of god that was hovering over him when he died a death for you and i the same spirit that raised him from the tomb I think is who it was that took him up. For those heavenly messengers said, why do you stand here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, whom you have seen taken up in front of you, he's going to come back just like you've seen him go. He went up literally, bodily, visibly. He's coming back literally, bodily, and visibly. Now, I don't know when it's going to be, but I have every inclination. It could be any time. And you might be in food line when it happens, or maybe in Walmart, or maybe in a bank, store full of people. But all of a sudden, there's going to be a trumpet sound. This isn't make-believe. This isn't science fiction. The Lord is going to come, and the Holy Spirit is going to take you out of here. I'm not making this up. You're going to be in your car all by yourself on highway 55 or i-40 or the street you live all of a sudden you feel someone in that car with you in a single split you're gone he's gonna take you up we might be in here having church might be up here preaching wouldn't that be something might be in here worshiping singing praying around the altar all of a sudden it's home going day and the holy ghost is going to take you up that's the spirit of god from the beginning to the end he's with you every step of the way that's what pentecost is all about don't you love him this morning right where you're why don't you stand up not where you're sitting but right just stand up we'll go ahead now you know we're serious about finishing this thing music's playing you're on your feet but why don't you tell him how much you love him 
You that are watching the service where you are at home, you can do that too. But everybody here, if you want to just close your eyes and some way, somehow, say glory to the Father, glory to the Son, glory to the Spirit of God. Anybody at all here under the sound of my voice that needs a Savior, I hope you heard enough gospel somewhere in my message. If you have an inclination, the Spirit of God, somebody's tugging at you, you know you're not right with Him, but you want to be. You want to have what others surrounding around you have, and you, you know it's true. This could be your day. Anybody at all in this place, you say, it's me, preacher. This is my day. I want to give my heart to Jesus forever. Will you just raise your hand up? Let me see it. I'm going to look right now here for just a moment. Yes, I see that hand. This is your day. Somebody else. Somebody else. Somebody else. All right, we're going to pray here in just a moment for that one. But we're going to pray for more than just those that need to be saved. Where are you along the journey? Does anybody need power? Does anybody need anointing? Does anybody need an unction? Does anybody need to be led in and out? Glory of the wilderness. Who knows who among us is nearest to the Jordan? We just need to have the Spirit so real in our lives. Let it happen, we pray in Jesus' name.